Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys, where today we'll be talking about Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I'm Tom Breifogel, joined with Andy Schmidt and Skid Marr. How about you guys say hi, Andy? Hey, I'm uh, Andy Schmidt. I am also known as the King Under the Mountain. Hey, I'm Skid, and I hope we saved your receipt because we're about to return of this king. Franchise fan guys. Well, since we're doing these movies one at a time, we'll do the film background for this movie. It was released in 2003 with a rating of PG-13, directed by Peter Jackson, story by J.R.R. Tolkien. Screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jackson, starring Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Ian McKellen, Sean Bean, Christopher Lee, Orlando Bloom, and a lot of other people. Budget of $94 million, domestic gross of $378 million, and an international gross of $764 million. Rotten Tomatoes score of 93% and an audience score of 86%. Alright, the downside to final acts of a story is they can often feel as though they play out in obvious ways. Did you feel that this film manages to avoid falling into predictability for the most part? Skid? Uh, I, well, gosh, that's, it's kind of a hard question for me to answer, having been steeped in the story since I was like seven or eight years old. Uh, so it's just like, oh yeah, that happened the way that they wrote it in the book. I expected that. Uh, but I think, generally speaking, for an audience that wasn't as clued into the story, I think that it probably did manage to avoid some of those pitfalls because I think that Tolkien was not a traditional novelist. He was writing, at, he wrote his stories from in the tradition of a medievalist more than anything. So I think people probably aren't used to some of the stuff the way, I think that the, the, the battle of Pelennor fields, the battle for Minas Tirith is sort of the action climax of the movie. And it happens about an hour before the end credits roll. So, I mean, that's certainly, that that pro- probably would be unexpected by most people. I think that, <laughs> um, and actually, that's something that they thought about changing. That's something you know, Peter Jackson said. Like, man, I just really thought about changing this because it's just it's it's you know having your climax come so long before the end. It feels like the final battle of the movie, but it, it's not. And so I, you know, that was probably unexpected, and. I think that the kind of the denouement, like all the, the the multiple endings, it was just like, I think that probably people probably weren't expecting that. But I defy anyone to, to pick one of those endings to cut. Every single one of them, especially rewatching it this time, is like, you need every single one of those moments to really feel the impact of the whole story. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, 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 I don't, uh, any problems that anyone would have with this movie, I don't think that predictability would be one of them. Yeah. Do you think those endings could have been done 
without fading to black every time, like a different transition? Would that, you think, have offended less people? Because I, I remember hearing people complain about that a lot when it came out. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, because some of them, I don't think some of them did. I think there are some of them were like crossfades. I'll be honest. With you, it's it's, it's hard to say because, like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the ending of the movie. I I I see people as just like, why are there so many endings? And stupid babies who should shut up. So that's that's the perspective <laughs> that I'm coming from. So I can't relate. Which is which is fine. That's fine, Skid. Uh, I don't agree with you that I think there are too many endings. Like I remember like standing up in the theater the first time I saw it like getting ready to leave <laughs> and I was like oh no I'll sit down for 20 more minutes of Andy I'm sorry really if you had an appointment or something but well, maybe a saying. little bit of planning might have helped you there yeah. more than complaining about the movie in retrospect I'm not complaining about it in retrospect I complained about it at the time um no it's not I mean those endings don't like make me dislike the movie or anything but they're there's just I find that they go on much longer and and honestly, if I could just change one thing about them, that I think would fix it is uh there is an inordinate amount of slow motion which just feel which like draws attention to sort of like the filmmakers fell in love with with what they were doing and it and it draws it out in a way that if you're super steeped in this like the filmmakers were or skid like you are having grown up and loved this lore for your entire life then that's probably fine you don't mind lingering on everything a little bit longer and seeing that twinkle in frodo's eye last for five seconds instead of one but for those of us that enjoyed the movies like the characters that could have been shorter but I'm not saying that they were wrong to do it the way they did it. They did it the way they did it because that's the way they thought it was right, and that's fine. And obviously there are folks like you that love it and love those endings, and there are folks like me that, like, it doesn't ruin the movie. But when I get to that point when I'm watching it at home, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can I can probably just turn it off now because I don't want to sit here for another 20 minutes. Oh. Um <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's like I've just stabbed you in the heart, didn't I? I apologize. No, it's just it's like encountering that. an alien from another dimension. I just have no <laughs> frame of reference for your brain. I, it's I can't. interesting because a lot a lot of people like sort of levied, I think, similar sort of complaints to Avengers Endgame about how like sort of like there are all these like fan moments in Avengers Endgame, and and there were a lot of people that were like, oh, that's so self serving, and that sort of you know like all this sort of you know, like a lot of that's unnecessary and you're like, yeah, but if you've been a fan for 20 movies or if you've been a fan of Lord of the Rings for a long time, like in either of those cases, it's basically the same. Then those are great for you. Right. Then it's fine. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just some people prefer it and some people don't. That's, that's it. I tend to lean on the side of preferred, not as much of that, but again, like it's not, I'm not sitting here going, this movie is bad because of it or unwatchable or I don't even like hate the endings. They're just longer than I want them to be. I like that I get to see all of those things. I just wish it was edited in a, in a quicker pace. Well, and hopefully I, I that actually, doesn't offend you and you can, you can at least see that I'm some <laughs> sort of creature from earth. No, uh, if I, not human. I get it. Maybe, but it's just, maybe an orc, if you will. <laughs> I think you have a chance to become human. Um, I think <laughs> for I've me, it's like, it's not even, uh, we'll, we'll administer a void comp test at the end of the episode. 
Um, I well for me, it's not even like having loved this story and everything. I mean, that's definitely part of it for, for you know for as long as I live. But it's just like the epic scope of the journey that you've taken over, especially you know with the extended editions over like over like twelve hours. The you know percentage of running time that the ending represents is still very small. So it's just emotionally, it's for me anyway. It's still it feels proper. And it manages to draw so much emotion out of me with partially via those using those techniques, like stretching things out, like really letting all these moments land for me is even more effective, especially the more that I watch it, like coming back because I hadn't seen it in a while coming back to it now. And I was just like. Uh, it was glorious to me because it was just like it really gave after watching them all in like a, a short span giving me emotionally an opportunity to really have that catharsis uh, over a more extended period of time was just everything that I want out of movie watching so I mean that's that's my that's my point of view I want to kind of go back to the to the original version of this question about the surprises and the and the predictability. Um, cause I, you know, I think we could, we could debate the, the actual final denouement stuff, I think for a long time. Um, and I think we're going to wind up in the same places. You love it. And I'm sort of indifferent to it, but in terms of predictability, and obviously if you've read the novel, then you're going to know how this plays out. But I think one of the things that I really like about return of the King is that I think it's a really good example of, uh, you know, it is essentially a third act, right? It's like sort of the final. It's every, it's, it's all the final battles that you expect in the final confrontations. It does a couple of things really, really well, whether, you know, the story does, you know, whether it's, you know, which is obviously adapted in the film and it follows it pretty closely, but the having multiple climaxes, you've got all these sort of subplots, subplots, they don't all have the same beats, which I think is really important that Frodo's struggle up the mountain is not terribly similar to the battle at Minas Tirith, right? That they're, that the, that the various subplots don't all just meld into one giant loud battle scene that lasts for an hour. There's a lot of that for folks that like that kind of thing, but there's also, uh, this more character-driven stuff going on, which is one of the things that all of these films do quite well, is they have the big scope and epic scale in the battle, but they they keep pulling you back to the character moments within that, which is what keeps my attention upon multiple viewings. So I think that's like one of those things where you look at this and you're like, this is one of the reasons why these films work so well and don't just descend into chaos and it's not transformers revenge of the fallen um and then the the other thing is that they do a nice thing in that they instead of you know third acts tend to be fairly predictable it's from that that point to the end it's you know get to the climax and beat the bad guy or or whatever you have you're sort of talking to action movies but in in this case what they do in Return of the King, and they've got you know obviously a lot more running time than most films do. What they do in Return of the King is they add really interesting and unexpected complications, you know, sort of th- what we call third act complications, right? Which is where you're getting close to the end and you kind of know how it's going to play out. Like, oh, okay, Frodo's going to go up the mountain, he's going to throw it in the ring, but it, it doesn't work out the way you expect, which is 
which is why it's not predictable. You know, the fact that Gollum shows up, that keeps that that whole scenario, that journey up the mountain, really interesting. That Frodo passes out and Sam catches him. They're, like, these are things that we don't expect to happen. We expect Frodo to be the one to triumphantly throw it into the, into the uh, volcano. But that's not the way it plays out. And it plays out in ways that are true to characters and that are interesting and keep us engaged. And the same thing with, uh, with um, Aragorn. After he gets the sword, he leaves. He just, he just pieces out with Legolas and, and Gimli, and they go into that cave, and you find these ghosts that, like, we haven't really heard anything about these ghosts. They're awesome by the way <laughs> but uh like you know like that's just like where, where not where does that come from in a bad way my dog says hello um but okay um but it's awesome in terms of uh that, that again, we don't know what the, these are elements that that ring true to the world and to the story being told. They are character driven, but they're not expected. When you go into Return of the King, it could have just been a three hour long battle and and you know race to the end, and that really would have sucked. The reason I think it's as good as it is is because it doesn't just do that. It avoids that, and I think a lot of other franchises could learn from that because a lot of these other franchises get to their third act and then it's just run to the end with lots of explosions. Was there anything predictable for you? I mean, ultimately the, I mean, I, you know, going into that movie, I was, I was fairly confident the ring would be destroyed, but you know, and that they would, they would win the battle. Uh, but like, so overall, yes. But the thing is, is that within that, there was a, so much, there was enough unpredictability that still works. Like I said, it still comes from character and it comes from the, from the story and the lore and everything that it, that it makes sense. So overall, yeah, I mean, it ends about like, generally speaking, it ends the way I assume it will with the ring being destroyed and Sauron being defeated. But beyond that, the journey to get there is not terribly predictable. How'd you feel about it, Tom? Some of the callbacks I wasn't expecting, which was pretty cool. And I was curious to ask you guys, cause I'm someone I have not read the books, but like Smeagol's backstory, we don't see him in that, sort of human form until this movie is that revealed in the book this far in uh i i can't no well no no they actually i think gandalf actually lays it all out for frodo uh in in the very beginning of fellowship of the ring um cool i prefer how they did it here then yeah and that, that was, actually that's felt really good yeah that scene that was in the movie was actually originally intended to be inserted into two towers when in the you know the scene when they're in the dead marshes and Frodo's stroking the ring and Gollum is pretending mm -hmm. to, that scene was supposed to be there, and they made the decision to move it to the beginning of the third movie. Which yeah, I agree. I think was the right move. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good call from a filmmaking perspective for sure. And I enjoyed another thing non predictable like for just Frodo's whole arc, like going into power can corrupt. Like, yeah, he totally is a different person. The The last, like, ten minutes before the ring is thrown into the lava, and especially, like, the last second where he says he doesn't want to throw it. Uh, yeah, he just reminded me of 
not everyone who's successful becomes evil, but I've seen so many people, yeah, change who they are and surround themselves with yes men, and that's what he became. And he, he abandoned Sam, and I thought that was really well done. And Sam's like, the, without Sam, there's no way Frodo gets there. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, kind of deep. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is just... I. The longer that I sit with Lord of the Rings and the more I think about it, the more touched I am by Tolkien's philosophies. And the, I, I mean, it's just so profound the way that the ring works, which is actually, and I, I, full disclosure, we're recording this episode a long time after the first two for reasons we won't get into, but I can't remember exactly what we said in the first two episodes, but I'm a huge fan of the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, which I can't imagine I didn't mention uh, yet. Um, but I always really liked the way that the ring seems to operate in that movie, which is, it's just, it's, it, it's more insidious. Like in this, in the Peter Jackson movies, it's great, but like uh, the Frodo seems to go into a trance. He seems to like lose control of himself and like, you know, become sort of possessed by the ring uh, in moments where it'd be less advantageous for him to have it on. When the Nazgul are near, it's just like, oh, his eyes roll to the back of his head. And he's just like, he's kind of like not aware of what he's doing. He puts the ring on. Whereas I think in the book uh, and, and in the Ralph Bakshi version, the ring is way more subtle than that. The Nazgul generate fear. They emit like an atmosphere of fear, a tangible kind of cloud of it. And what the ring does that plays on that fear, it's just like, oh, there's a threat coming. It's just like, you have to hide. And that's what the ring does. It turns you invisible. It makes you hide. And so it's just like, that. It, it's, it, uh, it, it just, what it does, it just it plays on all of your worst impulses, your fear, your anger. It just it plays on them plays to them and intensifies them and i just love that and yeah and it like that's how like the that's the ultimate climax of of its work is in that moment tom when he abandons his friend when he claims the ring for himself that's that's like the that's the culmination of all of it totally some other things i found non-predictable this really isn't storytelling stuff but just stuff where i felt like it was keeping 12 hours of a story fresh like when Pippin sings and then his voice becomes the score to the other scenes I thought that was really really good yeah that's yeah. great and Billy Boyd composed that music too himself is that the actor? yeah oh awesome yeah I didn't know his name I think he came up with it on the day maybe but yeah he, he composed <laughs> that so they had the, the poem and he uh, put music to it franchise fan guys so this is the film that both won all the awards at the Academy, and also received the lowest scores from fans. Not to say it wasn't liked, but how do you explain that gap? Andy? Uh, I think probably from the first part of our conversation, I think there were there were a lot of people that were sort of just kind of got to the end and felt that it dragged, and it kind of, it kind of made the ending for a lot of folks a little less satisfying. Um, I think that's probably like the main thing that I think the main that because when you talk about the Lord of the Rings films, like that's really the only sort of like divisive thing that I that I run into is like 
you know, folks like Skid who love that and other folks that were just kind of like, yeah, that dragged on and it just kind of, and so that's, I think that's why, you know, certain members of the audience, it obviously wasn't a huge one. Like the audience score is still pretty darn high. It's like 84. Isn't that what you said at the beginning? Um, 86, 86%. Like, I mean, obviously still generally quite well liked. Um, but you know, I think it's easier to leave this one kind of feeling like, like it just ends on this sort of a little bit of a drag for a lot of folks. Um, which is the last feeling you have when you like walk out of that theater or, or, you know, turn the Blu-ray off or whatever. But, um, those things might both be like totally dated now because people don't go to theaters or watch Blu-rays anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Like you get to the end of the two towers and like, I just want to plow right into return of the King. I get to the end of fellowship of the ring, like the ending of fellowship of the ring. I love, and like they lose a fight and then they just start running through a forest. And I'm like, I can't wait to see the next one. Um, it's a very <laughs> bizarre, it's a very bizarre ending. And part of it is the way the music swells. It's great. But, um, but yeah, I just think that, I think it's that. I just think the denouement doesn't land right for a portion of the audience. And that's, that's probably the main, the main thing. And there is, there is more big battley stuff in this one. Um, and so there, so while I know I went on a whole thing about how it is still character driven, there are, there is more just mayhem. And I think that can, that can let people's minds wander a little bit at times, but that's it. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think the Academy recognized this one. I mean, those, to me, those were awards for the achievement of the three of them, not necessarily just for return of the King, like return of the King winning best picture. I think that was really a best picture for fellowship, two towers and return of the King. I think that's kind of how the Academy was kind of looking at the, at that. But that's just a guess. I think that, I think third acts are hard to land. I think they're rarely anyone's favorite part of a story is the last third of it. It's, I, I can't think of, I can't think of a single like trilogy or anything where people are just like, yeah, that last section of it, like that's definitely by far the best. I think, I mean, it was always like my, I think it was my least favorite book because the scale just widens as the story goes. The, the, the Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite of the movies and my favorite of the books because, uh, for me, like it feels most like a Dungeons and Dragons adventuring uh, module. It's like if the focus is on this adventuring group and you know their their dungeon crawl and and everything else. It's a more intimate focus, and the the focus just expands as the story goes. And I think that it's a, a little a little bit distancing emotionally. And I was always like, yeah, Return of the King is my least favorite movie, but this of the three. But watching it this time, I think I was just I was kind of blown away. Part of it was like I was watching the new 4K Blu-ray um, that came out recently. At uh, I don't I don't know that I'd watched the Return of the King on that format yet, but. Man, I'm just, it is just, it is just spectacular. And I think the, it is so hard for me to make really compelling battle scenes, like big battle scenes. And that battle scene at the Pelennor Fields is just spectacular. 
And it's such a great contrast to one of the other like greatest battle scenes ever filmed. It's the two towers in the previous movie at Helm's Deep. It's just, the, 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 the tone of it is different. Like the lighting is different. The setting is a little different. And, and yet it's like he does the, what all great filmmakers trying to do that do. It's just like he, you, you're never really confused about what's going on. And this big battle, it's, you always hit, feel like you have a solid footing as to how things are playing out, where people are. And it's so I, 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 yeah, I've always thought of it as the weakest entry, but this time watching it, and I just watched the theatrical because this is the one movie of the three where I, I really prefer watching the theatrical over the extended. But watching the theatrical, I really was probably i think more impressed than i've ever been at any other viewing watching this movie i really just I think it's you said a, you said a couple of things there that i think i think are interesting one is you know when you're talking about not being confused like john mctiernan um who you know directed predator and die hard he he calls that geography like if you ever listen mm. to his commentaries which are generally not all that interesting honestly but like he'll talk about like oh this is all geography this is all just making sure you understand where you are, what's like, like this all comes back into play later. And when it does, you're not confused because we've taken you through these scenes and you don't even know it, that that's that we're setting all this up so that you understand how this location connects to that location and like all that kind of stuff. And like, that's something you always uh, praise with Titanic. You always mention the Titanic. James Cameron does yeah. such a great job with it's it. A, it's a, it really is amazing in Titanic. And then the other thing that you, that you, that you mentioned there that I thought was really kind of key, keying on is something that, um, uh, is it, uh, James Bertinelli, the, the reviewer at real reviews talked about that. Um, one of Peter Jackson's real strengths is his ability to do these complicated battle scenes in a way that not just are understandable, but are entertaining and don't just sort of, you know, get bogged down in explosion after explosion after explosion. Like he manages to keep it on point, not confusing, story driven. And he talks about that being one of Jackson's real strengths as a director, as a filmmaker. And he found material where that really is important. Um, and, and you were talking about, uh, trilogies or whatever where the third act is is uh the best bertinelli also thought that uh the battle of five armies was the best of the three hobbit films and i just like bringing up the hobbit films whenever i can with you because i know you (laughs) (laughs) to say every time i do i can i can i can smell part of your soul burning away i can't remember anything that happened in that third movie the hobbit movie i've watched it four times for the first time I watched it, I was super high, so that w- that doesn't count. But like I, ever, the rest of those times that I watched it, I can't tell you anything that happened except guessing from memory of reading the book. Well, all right, that's fair. Franchise fan guys. <laughs> well, all three films in this trilogy were released with extended editions, like we were just talking about, adding about three hours total between the films. In your viewing, do you feel like these additions contain scenes that still propel the story forward? Do they enhance your experience as a viewer? And why don't you think we've seen more films do this intentionally since then, given the financial success of these extended cuts? Skid? Well, yeah, like I said, I don't... I love the extended 
editions of these movies uh, generally because I, I mean, I, you can't have too much material for Lord of the Rings for me. Like, I just want to see, I just want to see everything. Like, I still miss Tom Bombadil. I still miss Scouring of the Shire. Uh, the one thing, and there are some great scenes in the extended version of, of this movie, too. The one that I... Well, there are two two that I really love in in this one. One is the confrontation with Gandalf and the Witch King. Uh, in in my Minas Tirith, that's really spe- a fantastic scene. It's great. I I love it. And the other is the confrontation with the mouth of Sauron at the Black Gates, with Bruce Spence. It's like one of my favorite like character actors, you know, from Mount of. Uh, Mad Max and everything is is fantastic. But the one the reason that I prefer I'll always prefer to watch the theatrical version of this movie is because of the way that the paths of the dead scenes play out and the way that they kind of alter the shape of the story in a way that I don't like. And the extended stuff with you there. Yeah, yeah. Like the the extended paths of the dead. The paths of the dead in the theatrical is just basically perfect. They but in there's a few more scenes, like there's the Mountain of Skulls thing, as I recall. But the thing that the thing that sucks, the thing that I hate for me is I think like so Aragorn is like as is, is confronting the king of the dead and he's just like uh, join me and regain your honor. What say you? And in the extended, he just like laughs and like leaves, and they're like, "Oh man!" And so then they leave, and they see the what they the corsairs of Ambar like sailing up the river, and they like collapse in despair. And then the king comes out, and is just like, "All right, we'll join you." And it's like, okay, that is way worse <laughs> than what happens in the theatrical, because in the theatrical, you just get that moment of "What say you?" And then Aragorn and the three and Legolas and Gimli are gone. They're gone from the movie for a while. I think maybe like 40 minutes or something. To the point where you could be excused for forgetting they even exist. And the next moment you see them is when you see the ships, the, the black ships from Umvar, like sailing up. He says, come on, you sea rats, this north work needs doing. Come on, get off your ships. And you expect... You might be. You might expect to see. You know, more like pirates get off to make things even worse for for the for the free free folk. And when Aragorn jumps over the railing, when I need to cry, like in a scene, like as a performer, that's what I think of. Is that moment? I'm starting to tear up a little bit right now. I, for what for whatever reason, that destroys me. <laughs> that moment, and it's ruined in the extended edition because of the way that they shake up the 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 pacing of it and everything so. yeah I, I i agree with with everything you just said like wholeheartedly about the path of the of the debt it's so much better than the theatrical release i also agree with you about the mouth of sauron scene which is my favorite scene in return of the king is my great. single favorite moment in return of the king and for that reason i will watch the extended edition because i get that scene but <laughs> you're right the the path of the dead is is really befuddling, you know, and, and the thing that one of the things I think you said there that I think is, 
is really key is you could forget that Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli were in the movie. And it's actually better if you do. Absolutely. Because, because when he jumps over that ship and you forgot about him, if you forgot about him, it's that much, it makes that moment that much bigger. Like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you keep reminding me that he's there, then I know he's going to come. He's, he's going to be important in a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 I would. I will say that um, kind of like you were saying, Skid. You know, just for you, like the more the better because you you love this world. I when these movies were coming out, I was not nearly as big a fan as you were then or are now. And um, but just seeing the films, like I was really excited for the extended cuts, and then I wasn't. I was not really disappointed. I mean, I, I have a little bit of that disappointment from Return of the King that, that we were just talking about, but. Overall, I really liked it. And they, they, do they move the story forward is, is debatable, I think. In some cases, though, I think they do. What they tend to do is they tend to be, they tend to allow you to spend more time with the characters and getting to know them and seeing them, you know, whether it's in a more vulnerable moment or you see the relationship between Aragorn and, um, uh, I'm blanking on her name, Skid from Arwen. 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 Arwen or Eowyn? Eowyn. Yeah, Eowyn. Like you see that that relationship gets more play, and I think it's a little bit oh, more interesting yeah. in the extended cuts. Um, you know, so like there's there are those things that if you like it, you will. I think you will enjoy the extended cuts more if you already like them. Um, I don't know that like if, if somebody has never seen them, I don't know that I'd necessarily be like, you should definitely watch the extended cuts and not the theatrical releases. Cause that's a big ask four hours it is. <laughs> per movie is a big ask. My, my it. sons and I did that in a, in a weekend. Um, and I think it was like, it was like four or five different sittings for each movie because I have a younger son who won't sit for really more than 45 minutes or an hour um which was fine we, we made it through him and he liked him if i'd forced him to sit there for 12 hours straight i think he would have wanted to murder me but but it's yeah it's just a big ask yeah it is uh, but i think there's like yeah moving the story forward so yeah some scenes do but there's also like lots of really cool fun details character details it, in two towers like there's the scene Actually, it's a really fun little scene where Eowyn is uh, making soup for people, and it's disgusting. And the Aragorn like politely like eats it. So it's like it's very cute and funny. And that you learn that he's uh, 87 years old, and you learn a little bit more about the Numenorians like in that moment. It's just like that's really that's really cool. And I think someone, especially like someone who doesn't know much about Lord of the Rings but does like the movies, would find that like interesting and kind of deepen their understanding appreciation of of the movies a little bit but so i'm glad that there's both versions i'm and i'm really glad that we're given the option you know of what what we want to watch but to answer your other question about whether why don't more movies do this i think the reason that it works with this movie is because there is so much depth to the source material that it's justified and the interest is justified too because there's such a huge existing fan base whereas most movies i couldn't i don't think i could be bothered 
to, you know, watch like, uh, you know, an hour more footage that, you know, might mess up the pacing or, or whatever. I, I, most movies, I don't, I wouldn't care enough. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Well, I think, I think it depends on, on the movie, right? Like, I mean, I think if, uh, you know, I think if it's something, you know, like a franchise, which we got, which we always talk about, right? Like if, if you were making a new, um, you know, a new, I don't know, whatever movie, Terminator, Mission Impossible, whatever. I think that has that fan base that, you know, if it has a rabid fan base, like a really like core strong fan base, but I think that's the key to it is you have to really understand your fan base. Is your fan base the kind that, that likes to get into the details and likes to soak up those things? Like I remember when they released the aliens special edition, that, that was only available on Laserdisc for years, and I'd never seen it. When I, when I when I was finally able to see that for the first time, I was like so excited to just have <laughs> something, some, something more. And like the Alien, you know, extended version or director's cut, whatever they call it now, only has like a minute worth more footage. But one of those scenes, I think, is amazing. Um, you know, and so it's like, you know, I think there Which are one? those. The scene where she finds Dallas cocooned up. Oh, 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 yeah. I've never, I haven't that's, even seen that. That's like yeah, the that's super a, extended. Yeah, no, I, I haven't. Yeah. Well, it's only, it's only like a minute longer than the. I think. It's oh, a I was thinking. I was, I'm longer. sorry. I was thinking of the Aliens extended edition. Yeah. No, I oh, haven't yeah, seen the, the Alien, Alien extended edition. Yeah. Yeah. The Aliens. The Aliens is like 25 minutes longer. Yeah. Um, and there's some really, there's some really cool, great stuff in that one as well. But like when you have that fan base, you know, and I think, you know, alien is, is one of those franchises that has that, that just, just really, really, really into it. Wants to know more about the mythology, wants to get into those details. If you have a franchise like that, I think you could get away with doing this. And I think as, you know, a producer or, or whoever, you know, the, as the accountant, you could justify going, okay, we're going to have two cuts of this movie and we're going to go in knowing that, and it allows, and if you go in knowing that the way that Peter Jackson did, it allows you to do things differently. Like, you know, sometimes you get these like unrated cuts or extended editions that are just like, oh, there's more footage that we didn't use, but they don't add anything of value and, and probably do mess the pacing up. But in the case of, uh, in the case of these, like they knew I'm assuming they knew for the most part what was going to go in extended and what wasn't like when they were writing it, like this will be an extended cut scene most likely. Um, so I think those like being able to make those decisions of like, there's going to be the sequence that'll be really cool in the extended, but it might slow the pace down for the theatrical audience. I think that would be, I'm surprised that, that more franchises, especially, especially franchises with that rapid audience haven't done, more of this kind of thing. And maybe they just know that like if they just put director's cut or unrated cut or extended cut on the cover of a DVD, it'll just sell more and that's all they really want. And so they just slap some footage in there and that's it. That probably is more it, but, but yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I don't think there's any way to kind of manufacture the obvious deep love that the filmmakers of the Lord of the Rings had for the Lord of the Rings. And I mean, it's evident in every aspect of the production. Anytime you hear any of them talk about it, like they grew up loving this stuff the way I did. 
And so that is a major motivating factor to kind of plumb as much of this as they could get away with and to, to give it care uh, while doing it. Not just as like, this is something extra we're going to throw on the DVD to sell a few more copies. Like this is, this is stuff that they really wanted to see. And there's so much more that they could have like, they, I'm sure they wanted to put in, but like just couldn't, there's just so much there. So I think that, I mean, that, that's gotta be like one of the biggest reasons why this version of that, of this kind of extended edition kind of thing is as successful and wonderful as it is, is because of that core kind of feeling that the makers of the film had. What were you going to say, Tom? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I've never really had an extended cut that I can think of that I love more than the original. I remember when I was a kid, I watched uh, behind the scenes with Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies. And they asked him if there would be a director's cut. And he like laughed and he's like, I made the movie I wanted to make the first time. So he's like, absolutely not. There won't be. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, (laughs) why, why mess up the pacing? Why throw more footage? And then on a, on the other hand, there's, uh, I mentioned this movie the other day, but it's only a movie. It's not a movie I watch all the time, but I'll talk about it again. The movie Dogma has 45 minutes cut, which I would love to see. I I think it would fill some gaps in the movie, or at least me as a fan thinks that maybe there was a reason they cut 45 minutes, but it's always been on my list of things to do to read the script to see what got cut, but I've never read the script. But yeah, this movie, knowing that they would have extended cuts, I think is the only way to do it, because otherwise I would assume you cut things for a reason. There is one other extended cut where it was, you know, stuff you know, cut for the theatrical release that I actually like a little bit more. And that's the original Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner, Superman. There is a longer version of that than the theatrical release, which had some stuff that I just love because they're very Superman moments. Like the special effects weren't great back then. So they kind of, um, I mean, they're, they're actually great in that movie, but, um, there's some stuff that I, I think they kind of shied away from Superman doing a whole bunch of Superman stuff, you know, whereas like, today it's all digital effects and he can he can he can bounce a moon on his knee all he wants now and it's not a a problem to make that look real but uh you know back then there's a whole sequence where he's going down underground into to go into luther's um layer to confront lex luther and there's a whole sequence of him going through a bunch of like you know intricate comic booky traps you know where he gets frozen he gets flamethrowers they shoot bullets at him all yeah. this stuff and it's it's good superman stuff and i really i really really enjoy that stuff because it it feels like superman to me um so i give that one but generally speaking when i see oh this is the director's cut and i think directors have gotten more um uh more careful about what they what they allow to be called a director's cut my guess is that's probably in contracts now um, that you can only call something a director cut if the, if the director himself or herself actually approves it to be that way. Cause now there's a lot of unrated cuts, extended editions, you know, there's, they have all these other names for them where it seems like they just threw stuff in to try and sell more copies of the, of the DVD or, or the Blu-ray or whatever. And, um, uh, which is why actually going back to aliens, like, Alien and Aliens, I think, both have director's cuts, but Alien 3 does not because David Fincher, like, never signed off on seemingly anything to do with Alien 3. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't hold your breath. But, 
Right, but the Alien Three, the cut, the the special. I think it's just called like Special Edition or something like that. Is has a name like that. That's and it's significantly different from the Alien Three that was released in theaters. But you know, but Fincher wasn't like, yeah, call it a director's cut, put my name on it. He he was like, no, this whole thing is. This whole thing is nuts. You just threw something together. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I, I generally, though, I agree with you that, that it's got to be that passion and it's got to be, they got to know what they're doing going in, in order for it to be a, a better experience. Because most of the time you get into these extended editions and I'm like, there's a reason all that stuff was cut and it should have stayed that way. Yeah. 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 What's interesting too, that just occurred to me is because I've seen like those scenes that you mentioned about the, 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 the Superman and what would have happened with uh, like these extended scenes like in Lord of the Rings back in the day is you might have seen them on a network broadcast of the movie because often they would insert some of these extra scenes that they had laying around to draw out the running time to get more commercials in, you know, to make it fit the three hour, you know, mark or whatever. So uh, it's uh, like that's how I saw it. Like I remember as a kid the broadcast version of Raiders of the Lost Ark having some extra scenes. Some of what's like, I've never seen since like there is a, there's a scene when they're about to go into the, the tomb and Salah is just like, uh, asps very dangerous. You go first. And, and he's like, what? And he's just like, well, you are afraid of snakes. I am afraid of butterflies. If the tomb was filled with butterflies, I should have to face my fear. I would go first. And it's a great little scene, and it's gone. And that's the only time I've seen it is when it was on NBC or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I did not know that about Rage. Yeah. <laughs> so the book after Return of the King, have either of you read it? The book after Return of the King? Yeah, I was looking it up, and there, there is another book, right? Are you There's talking about like Silmarillion? The... So there is no more Frodo? There are no more Frodo no, stories there, after there, this? No, there's oh, okay. like notes and appendices and things like that. Okay. Yeah, there's the appendices in the back of Return of the King. And then there's, yeah, everything else was basically stuff that J.R.R. Tolkien, like his son Christopher, helped him put together after the fact. Um, the... Christopher just compiled like a lot of like uh, bunches of his notes and tried to try to edit them down into uh, book format. The Silmarillion is the big one. There's also Unfinished Tales and uh, Children of Huron. There's a bunch of other like a uh, bunch of other ones, but um, but but yes, I have read the Silmarillion. And It might, it might be a, a Bible for you, Skid. It, it sort of is. <laughs> I remember, I remember, like you, I can't. Remember, I think it was Two Towers. You and I saw together, and and at one point, uh, you know, somebody's singing a song in Elvish or something, and uh, and remember, like I like I looked over and I could tell like you were getting like emotional. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And then, uh, and then I guess you know you really cared a lot about this guy that we didn't meet whose funeral we're at. And uh, and then you were like, no, 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 the the Elvish song, like this is what they're saying in this Elvish song, and like you were able to translate it or you'd memorize it from the book. I don't know which, but I I was just like that is that is a deep deep love of yeah. of this thing, which is which is awesome, <laughs> you know. Like I mean, 
<laughs> it's so it's so rare to find something, whether it's a story or like I mean, just to have something in your life that you just love with such a purity and like like that. It's it's really great. Yeah, I'm so grateful for it. I really am because it's something that I loved. It's something that my parents loved too. Like my dad uh, would read me these stories. It's one of the things we would we would bond over, and it's just Tolkien was just so thorough and he was such a such a so brilliant he was such a nerd and it's so rewarding to dig because the deeper you dig like the more gold you find there's just no bottom it's just there everything is so well rooted in this this world that he created it's just like it's it's there's a reason why people with the nerdy impulse love it as much as they do and and uh, I'm sure one of them. Franchise fan guys.